The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Now, we will be back regularly in August for the start of the season, but we thought we'd bring the gang together for a one-off special to give you a roundup of the goings-on so far in what is shaping up to be a very exciting summer for the Arsenal. I'm joined by Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello, I missed you too. It's sort of weird not having our sort of bi-weekly, is it bi-weekly or twice, <laughs> twice-weekly chats? Uh, anyway, it's all been happening at the Arsenal and uh, Declan Rice, his arrival Ooh. is imminent. I mean, we know he's not there yet, but it is imminent and it does feel as though Vanilla Ice is making a comeback in North London. Uh, for those of you who are living on the moon, uh, Rice, Rice, Baby is the song. Uh, so what I thought I'd ask before we get going, what is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, Amy, what is your go-to karaoke song? Well, you'd be surprised to uh, hear that I don't actually have a go-to Stop. karaoke song. Stop it. I'm not I don't. It. I don't. I mean, mainly because the things that I kind of fancy listening to are not the sort of things that get everyone going on karaoke. Um, no. So just for the sake of argument, I will go for The Cure Love Cat. Or if I could do a duet, I'll do Heaven 17 Temptation with whoever's game. Oh, right. Are you doing the uh, swooping about part? <laughs> and, and, I mean, that's that's a serious bit of singing there. Yeah, I I might do the other bit, really, but let someone else. <laughs> never been close. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great tune, though. Love Heaven 17. Oh, no. Yeah, I want to see that in action, Amy. Yeah, Just, just putting do. it out there. I, I... <laughs> right, OK. I'll partner up with you. <laughs> uh, uh, is this going to be a sort of, if Arsenal win the league, then... All right, how about we do a trio uh, on the pod if Arsenal win the title? I think, sorry, I think we want to keep listeners rather than losing them <laughs> if at all possible. But yeah, uh, Adrian, Adrian, well, what have you got? It's easy for me. Yeah, back in 1991 when I was in Diggs at Arsenal, we were sat there, me and my mate Nicky Rust, who was a goalkeeper, we were sat there watching Stars in Their Eyes. And there was someone performing. I oh, know, oh, I know, no, no, it's crazy. Um, and Neil Diamond, someone was doing Neil Diamond. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no. from Sweet that Caroline. day on, oh, I was able God. to mimic Neil Diamond. Now I'm not saying it's great, but apparently I do sound a little bit like Neil Diamond when 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 I do my thing. So um, so yeah, down the years, every every six or seven years, when I end up at a karaoke, I have to do have to do a bit of the real Neil. And there's a funny story. Um, when I worked at <laughs> when I worked at a place called Icons, um, I think um, uh, Mr. Ian McIntosh, who, was, uh, who, who we all know from The Athletic, um, he was working with me at Icons and um, he did pen picks of every person that was working there, all the, all the football journalists. And on my pen pick, he put Adrian Clark, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he can often be seen moonlighting uh, on the streets of London as a Neil Diamond impersonator. Uh, just did it as a, as a, as a gag because they were all a little bit silly. And anyway, someone's Googled Neil Diamond impersonator and phoned up the company um, looking to book me for their wedding as a Neil Diamond impersonator. Can I just interject before you finish all your uh, Neil Diamond nostalgia? Uh, I mean, if we're talking about real Neils, I mean, first of all, Neil Young and second of all, Neil from the Young Ones. So just stop it. And second of all... <laughs> 
if your song of choice <laughs> in your impersonation is the one yeah. with the initials S and C, I'm yeah. just not sure we can be friends. <laughs> Look, is it, by I, the way? Well, yeah, it, because it? I don't oh. really know the words to any of the, any of the other songs. Oh. I will do "Forever in Blue Jeans," you know, on special request. But um, but yeah, no, it's um, yeah. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a Neil Diamond lover, uh, but I've I've been doing the odd Neil Diamond karaoke since 1991. There you go. Wow. Well, yeah, I knew this. Uh, this podcast this taking a turn. It has, isn't it, Amy? Not the way you're expecting. Um, I mean, such snobbery uh, from you two. Such snobbery. I, hey, by the way, am I being I'm proud no, of it. no, 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 no? Not me, by the way. Not no, me. The me jazz singer. Illness. The jazz singer is is a film that I go back to on occasion when I when I feel like I want to have a bit of uh, I don't know. <laughs> Laurence Olivier being a rabbi, I sort of I think okay, go on, I'll go with that. Um, I, can I just say I've never done karaoke in my life, not once. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I am—I do real performing. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do my own stuff. The only karaoke bar I've ever been to was in Pristina in Kosovo when I was out there entertaining the UN troops, uh, oh, the peacekeepers. Really? And I thought I didn't want to start another Balkan war by singing something in a karaoke bar in Kosovo. But I did think about this. As I knew we were going to ask the question, what happened was I was driving to a gig the other week and uh, Holidays in the Sun by the Sex Pistols came on and I thought, right, I'm going to commit. I'm going to sing along with this uh, properly. And I've got to be honest, it tore my voice to shreds. I mean, I, I mean, maybe it was a bit of a leap to start with something like that. Um, if I had to, Teenage Kicks by the Anatones or This Is The Modern World by The Jam. And for that song, for the I Don't Give A Damn About Your Review line, although Weller sings something different and something slightly more vi- Triolic on some recordings, but I know that children. Do you think we've still got listening. any listeners? Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I think you know we've lost them all already. We asked. Well, they, we asked. I thought we'd see what where we were. Anyway, I know some of you, and when I say some of you, I mean Amy, are a little apprehensive to talk about transfers unofficial yet, and I get that. Uh, I get that. So what we did. Uh, is we got the man himself, the go-to guy when it comes to transfers, uh, to talk about what's happening. Uh, uh, we got a little note from David Ornstein. Well, these are exceptionally busy times at Arsenal in terms of incomings, outgoings, renewals. It even extends beyond the first-team squad. We've broken a story on The Athletic that Arsenal's head of medical services, their doctor, Gary O'Driscoll, who has been with the club for more than 14 years, is going to be joining Manchester United in a deal that's expected to be completed later this summer. Uh, He'll remain in his position for the time being. But if we bring it back to the players themselves, two of whom, Gary O'Driscoll, will be looking at very closely um, in the next hours, Declan Rice and Julian Timber, because both of them will be undergoing medicals as expected because we reported that agreements had been reached with West Ham and Ajax respectively and permission granted to both Rice and Timber to take their medical tests. That is developing pretty rapidly. A bit of patience is required. They need to finish off all the details and formalise their agreements with the clubs, go through the regulatory process too, But I think in due course, we will see them paraded as Arsenal players and we'll continue to keep you abreast of all the comings, goings, ins and outs, trials and tribulations, ups and downs in the hours, days and weeks ahead. 
Thanks to David uh, for that little voice note. Uh, It all seems very, very positive. The main take from it all, Amy, is that we've done our business early this year. I always thought, get the business done before pre-season. You can get all the players together and you can work on stuff and you know where you are. And Arsenal have been very proactive this summer. This summer's like a quantum leap into, you know, a new dimension (laughs) as far as Arsenal transfer policy is concerned. I kind of almost think, can you compare it to anything else ever, almost, that Arsenal have done in, in, in transfers? And, you know, probably go back to Alex James in the 30s or whatever. But I would say the summer when Bergkamp and David Platt both arrived from Serie A is the closest because Arsenal shattered their transfer uh, records at that point for players who were going to take the club onto a new level. And that was why they went for it in that way. And, you know, it was all part of that mentality shift, which then saw Arson come and then saw, you know, the Vieiras and uh, eventually Henri's and Pires's and, and, and so on come to transform the club. So if it's the same consequence, that's good news. But it just feels like for a long, long time, I mean, I remember over many years, whenever we would try and speak to Arsenal for guidance about transfers and this and that, they would A, be kind of pleading poverty, particularly during the kind of, during the post-hybrid early Emirates years. And secondly, it would always be sell to buy. Sell to buy was like a mantra almost. So raising some funds before, you know, that was what was available to spend more or less, was the the what they spoke about. Obviously, that's changed a bit in recent years and Arsenal have been spending money. But to do it with this level of focus and aggression and intent is a new chapter. And Arsenal have, first of all, they've gone out and got their, almost got their number one priority signings. And we've all spoken a lot in recent years about how Arsenal have had to pivot and maybe they've missed the first choice and they've gone to someone else and actually it's worked out quite well, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this one looks like they've had a number one in three positions and they've got number one. And I think it speaks of uh, a new level of boldness and commitment to doing absolutely everything in their power to compete with Manchester City and those clubs in the Champions League. And that comes from, really, Mikel. And others around him are responding to that and they feel like they have to deliver for him. Adrian, don't you think we could say that about the last couple of years, really? The clear out that we've had. um, I mean, we'll talk about Granit Xhaka, the last of uh, the Arsene Wenger era uh, to go and we will have a a proper chat about him. But the the transfer business done over the last three, four windows has been... Really spectacular. Yeah, really when you impressive. look at the team. Yeah, really, really impressive. Yeah, just just had very clear focus on the profiles of the players that they were after and what they wanted the team to look like. And it was a sort of brick by brick approach. You couldn't get all of the uh, jigsaw pieces in there straight away, but but now you're you're seeing exactly what the what the plan was. And yeah, the efficiency of of the way that they're going about their work behind the scenes is impressive. And yeah, I think I think Amy's right to compare it to 95. I was at the club then, I was a young player and it did feel a bit seismic, but we hadn't been that great building up to it. And Dennis Bergkamp 
was a world-class player that had question marks around him at the time because it hadn't gone swimmingly for him at Inter Milan. It, the difference now is that we've done this on the back of our best season for a long, long, long time. And what we've recognised is, right, let's strike while we're hot. We've never been this fit. We've never been this attractive to to suit, you know, to, to players out there. And let's let's just chance our arm. Let's see if we can get players that that previously wouldn't have even looked at us. And I, and I think Declan Rice, even though you know, I'm sure he's absolutely thrilled to be soon to be an Arsenal player. But but the truth is, two or three years ago, he, he we wouldn't have been on his list. It, it would have been a City, a Liverpool, a Man United, and we wouldn't have been able to afford him for starters. So and and, and on Kai Havertz, even you know, we've taken a player. Really, who I think is probably Chelsea's best player or, or, or one of their top three players. He's he's gagging to come to the Arsenal from Chelsea. Again, that, that shows the muscle that we've got at the moment. It's it's fantastic, really exciting. Yeah. Amy? I think on the on the rice deal in particular, I mean, things have moved sort of with such kind of like almost the, that daily sense of of momentum uh and little bits of information, but it was not that long ago that when Manchester City came in and suddenly they were involved in it, prior to which I think everyone kind of expected Rice to go to Arsenal and that that was just a question question of working it out with West Ham. But <laughs> I will always remember taking a call from the uh, office at The Athletic on the day when Man City's interest became clear and that they were going to you know, prepare a bid. And they had all their many editors sitting around the table uh, having a debate about where Declan Rice should go. And it was a unanimous Manchester City. <laughs> now, there's a lot, you know, there are people that that's not to do with club biases and this and that, even though there are a few uh, Tottenham fans <laughs> around the <laughs> office. But but I think it was people just looking at the situation and thinking, you know, Pep Guardiola wants you and you will guaranteed win stuff, you know. There is that guarantee that you're going to win something at the moment at Man City. If you, I can't imagine someone signing for them and suddenly the cycle of football shifts and they don't win anything for the next five years. And so, you get to play with Pep as well, don't you? Well, exactly. And for that, to, I think there was a sense amongst virtually everyone outside of Arsenal that there was an inevitability that once Man City came in that, that the whole thing was going to change and the course of this transfer was about to take a big turn up the M6. And uh, I think there's something magnificent that Arsenal sort of kept their nerve, kept their desire and, you know, just obviously went to that next level of this is everything that we can possibly do. They couldn't have pushed any harder to get Declan Rice and... I just think that's fantastic. And I think it's also a reflection that, yes, oh, you get to go and play with Pep, but hey, you get to go and play with Mikel and people want to do that now. They do. You listen to every interview. You listen to people who are uh, assigning or wanting to come. If Mikel sits down and gives you a chat, it's got a hell of a pull. And it's a huge credit to everybody at the club if this deal gets finalised that, 
you know, they've they've done this in spite of it's not been a, a, a one horse race in spite of Manchester City being in the conversation at quite a critical moment. It would have been disastrous, I think, for English oh. football it, had he gone to Manchester City. I, I think Arsenal have done the whole of the Premier League a massive favour mm. here. You can thank kills, us whenever you want, it, everyone it kills, else. It, killed, it would have killed the... T- yeah. Honestly, I think he's that good. He's a brilliant, brilliant footballer, but he's wanted at Arsenal. He's loved at Arsenal. Mikel Arteta obviously sat down and made it clear to him. We've been courting him for a couple of years and it was the right move. It might have cost us about 10 million more than we wanted to pay, though. And that is the damaging part of what happened with Manchester City, right, Adrian? I mean, yeah. I mean, they put a push the price up a little bit, yeah. possibly. Yeah, they did, no doubt about it. But I think West Ham were fairly fairly focused on that <laughs> that, that three-figure um, number, weren't they? I think I think they were desperate for that. We might have had to have gone, gone to it. You know, they were pretty stubborn, weren't they, throughout the negotiations? Or at least it seems that way from the outside. Which are still Looking going at, on, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Can we just point out? I mean, I mean look, I, I think most of us believe that Declan Rice will be an Arsenal player it, probably in the next few days, possibly by the end of this podcast. We don't know. At some point soon, there will be an announcement. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, the first arrival in the summer, Kai Havertz. Um, a surprise to everyone. Adrian, mm-hmm. um, what's his best position? Do you think? I, th- I think his best position is as a floating attacking midfielder. Um, so he, he was wasted. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he was criminally wasted at Chelsea last season as a week in, week out front man. That's not his game because they didn't have anyone else. But is, is he essentially is he essentially replacing Granite Xhaka? Possibly. Yeah, I think I think he'll have a hybrid role. I, I really do. I think that in some games. Probably the easier games, we might see Declan Rice at, at that number six with Erdegaard and Havertz either side and then the, <laughs> and then the front three as, as we know Love it. That. But the thing is about it, OK, so you think, well, left midfield, is that really his position? Well, Erdegaard and Havertz are really number 10s, aren't they? When, when Arsenal have the ball and they're probing inside the opposition half, they're both those creative players that are looking to sort of either score or slide someone in and and link play. And I think that is him. I really do. But as much as I think he's a player that can fit in with the, with the passing that we do, I would say his number one strength is movement and game intelligence. So how I'm envisaging it is this, we've got this front five, okay, an amazing front five that basically are just going to interchange and rotate and, bamboozle opponents. That's how we play. Jesus is going to drop deep. Havertz will go on. Um, Martinelli will drift inside. Havertz will come out wide. I just think it's going to be really, really fluid. And if you've got a fluid system and you've got a player like Havertz who is amazing at finding holes, it's a recipe for success in my opinion. I think I think even though we're playing a deeper position for Arsenal, I will be very surprised. I'd be astonished if he doesn't score more goals and and make more goals for us than he did for Chelsea. I just think our football will will suit him. Amy, versatility again is another one of these players that can play in a number of positions and can swap and change. It's what Mikel Arteta wants almost above anything else once you've got the technical ability. Yeah, but I also think that, you know, he does like certain players. I mean, if you look at Odegaard, he's another player with that versatility um and yet he's really found a, a quite specific role and space that he operates in and yes it's quite a kind of fluid space but it, you know it's not totally free form it's not football jazz mm-hmm. well even it's called jazz is quite a good comparison because with jazz music you have fundamentals of um musical kind of language 
that is underneath all of it. And then you have the freedom to move around with He's that. a good presser. He's, he was Chelsea's, one of Chelsea's best pressing players. He's a, he, he knows how to work for the team. He's no luxury He's also guy. big, isn't he? Six foot three. I mean, we are getting bigger. Because all those forward players are quite small. I think that's really helpful. It solves that, that, it solves that hole, Amy, that we've been banging really? on about for like the last 18 months. Would you months. not still want another centre forward? No, no, I don't. No, I don't feel a necessity for one now. No, okay. I don't. Because he can, he can fill that hole. He can be that aerial guy. He'll push on sometimes and, and, and flick it on or hold it up. And when we put crosses into the box, we can actually hang them up a little bit more now. And I was looking at some of the numbers. Only three Premier League forwards had more headed shots than Kai Havertz last season. Mitrovic, Kane and Haaland. Only two Premier League forwards won more aerial duels than Havertz. And that was Tony and Mitrovic. He wow. gives us a dimension that we didn't have, as well as that fit, you know, in terms of the style. Do you think in terms of that versatility then that he's going to be interchanging a bit more with Jesus? Because obviously Jesus loves to drop deep. So do you think they're going to have that pulley thing? Totally. Effect yeah, going do, yeah. on that one's yeah. dropping and one's one's floating forwards. Yeah, I do. Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, th- I absolutely do. Um, he's a player that loves making runs as well. Like he's... he. he Wait till you watch him, because obviously we've all watched him, but we haven't watched him, watched him like we do, like we do with Arsenal players. He is one of those guys that's kind of always on the move, always sort of trying to make a run for someone to put him in, whether that's a wide run or a, a sort of vertical one or whatnot. So, yeah, I think when Jesus comes short, Havertz will make those runs. He'll make those runs that Özil made too infrequently. Like Özil was really good at it, but he didn't do it very often. I think Havertz will do it a lot. And obviously we've got players that will hopefully pick him out a little bit better than than Chelsea did. Twice. And also there's that there's that potential scoring-wise. You said, you know, if he doesn't score that many goals from that number nine position. But we've seen, I think Erdegaard's a phenomenal example of someone who has dramatically added to their numbers and goals and assists uh, once they got comfortable and happy. And maybe the same, you know, is in mind for him. Also a Champions League winner, scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. We talked last year about having winners in the dressing room. Um, Another one, assuming that he signs in the next few days, Declan Rice just won a European trophy with West Ham. Would be the most expensive British signing ever. I mean, how big a signing would this be? I mean, I feel like this is the one really, to get Declan Rice, as we said just before, Man City would have had him. He could have gone to play with Pep Guardiola. He's come to us. We've all seen him play for West Ham over the last few years. Um, I mean, I haven't been more excited about a signing, really, I think since Dennis Bergkamp came. I I genuinely feel this could be game-changing for us. There's all sorts of stats we can talk about, but just in terms of his stature, you know, he's an England international He's got pretty much everything you want from a midfielder. The thing that is particularly exciting about Declan Rice is this this combination that he brings, not just of his technical capabilities and power on that what he offers in that front, but his personality. And sometimes you come across a player that has that combination of both that is able to impact a team almost doubly you know, in the in the body and in the mind. And you just see the way that he conducts himself on the pitch and off the pitch. And you know you're bringing someone on who's going to bring charisma 
attitude, positivity, inspiration, leadership, someone who's propping up his mates when they need it, who's first on the scene when something goes on. All these little things that come under that umbrella of sort of, uh, I suppose you'd call it some sort of captaincy or leadership vibe. And he's got that in bucket loads. So you add that to the fact that he's a one of the most coveted players in the world in his position of the sort of anchoring midfield. That's why Arsenal have gone for the big bucks because Huge, isn't it? he's he, he you know he's not a short term signing. He's there for the duration. Twenty four years, years old. Yeah, he's he's a he's a young boy with so much development in front of him, and. You know, I don't, it's really important we don't go overboard. The other thing is, I, you know, I see people saying, oh, the price tag, you know, it's a pressure for him. <sighs> I don't think that that matters. And one of the things I think that's a, a benefit of the fact that price tags have gone kind of generally insane is that it, the, I don't know what value is anymore. Does anybody? I don't think we can really assess value in the way that we once did. Essentially, if this guy comes in and, and helps the club go up a notch or two. He's worth anything. He's worth as much as you can afford. If he, if he doesn't, then even if you've spent 10 million, it's been a, a bit of a blow. So yeah. it's about what someone delivers in the club and on the pitch. And I, I don't think he's going to have a problem fitting right in straight away. I mean, there is obviously an English tax. I think we all agree. Martin Erdegaard was 30 million quid. I mean, that's that. there's value there. But we know that English players cost more. Adrian, uh, I mean, I'm sure you're excited by this signing. But, I mean, I, Amy's talking about moving us up a notch. It's only one notch we need to move up now, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, but look, it's... Yeah, we want to be in a position, don't we, where we're... Yeah, we are the equal of anyone in Europe and... And we're almost there. But but yeah, he is the sort of player that will help us get there quicker for sure. We've beaten uh, the team that just won the treble and the champions of Europe to the signing of one of the most coveted players it's, in Europe. It's, it's it's a game changer. It's, it's, a, it's a serious move from Arsenal. And I love it. Uh, he's been one of my favourite players for a number of years. Yep. Every time I've watched Declan Rice, he's pretty much dominated the game for West Ham. I've worked on quite a few commentaries for West Ham and he, he always stands out. And he's not just a defensive midfielder. I think that's it's important to to state that. He played in a very defensive side at West Ham, um, where tactically it was quite robust. It, you know, it was cautious. So he, he ended up having a lot of his action on the edge of his own box. I was looking at the numbers. No, no midfielder won possession or regained the ball inside their own defensive third more than Declan Rice last season. Okay. Um, that's probably because West Ham are camped on the edge of their box a lot. But when we're under the cosh, he's someone that can drop in and be that extra centre-back. But what he also offers is unbelievable drive. Like I'm sure we've all seen some of the moments and the clips and the goals where he just surges down that spine of the field at real pace. And and I think that that he'll do that more and more with us. Um, Again, numbers-wise, only one midfielder last season progressed with the ball at their feet, which is basically dribble with it in a forward direction, further than Declan Rice. And it was Rodri. And really, (laughs) Rodri is the comparison here. Rodri, I think, has become the best in the business in that position. 
And I think the Declan Rice is a close second at the moment. And I think Declan has got potential to to be better than Rodri. Um, and that's how, that's how big a signing this is. So he makes progressive passes. He's a great passer. He's an unbelievable defensive player. We know about the ball recoveries, the interceptions. Um, but he's also fits in with Arteta's ethos of moving the ball with quality through the thirds, up the pitch. And he will do that by a pass or by a dribble. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see him wearing the red and white. Me neither. Also, and like I say, another winner. Uh, also, by the way, you can say that about our third uh, signing. Yuri and Timber um, can play centre-back or right-back. Got him from Ajax for, what was it, about 40 million quid. Also, by the way, has won the Eredivisie. Um he can play that inverted fullback role. I mean, he's the one I've I've seen least, Amy. Have you seen him? He's made over 100 appearances for Ajax, 15 caps for the Netherlands. I mean, I tend to feel that players that come out of the Ajax Academy are going to be technically very, very gifted. He's versatile. They've obviously been watching him a long time. And we know we suffered a little bit at the end of last season when Ben White was a bit tired and Saliba was injured. Um, he fills in that gap very nicely. Yeah, more than very nicely. I think he's going to be coming in to push, you know, someone for a starting position, which is is going to be the way it should be in this team as it evolves. And uh, he has more developing to do, but has already established uh, a level that is very high for the the Netherlands national team as well as for Ajax. Um, I think he brings all the attributes that Mikel likes and good age. And again, it looks like one of those very classic examples of um, when Mikel talked about having to sort of fix the things that weren't quite right at the end of last season for next season and nail those things. That lack of someone of the right calibre to fill in when Saliba was out and Ben White was getting tired, was really damaging. And we all know that. So it's like, who's the best person you can get to to come and, you know, provide that? And I don't think there's much better around. And the fact that he was so keen to come as well, which is a feature of all the new players at Arsenal signed. And Adrian, you you alluded to it before, which is like destination Arsenal. It's It's the place to be, you know, it feels... I remember when Klopp was in sort of season two or three or whatever at Liverpool and you were looking kind of admiringly at it, thinking, oh man, that just looks like so much fun, like something is happening there. And of course, you could see why any player in the world fancied that opportunity if it was if it was put to them. And it's kind of amazing that Arsenal put themselves in that position, so, you know, so quickly, really. But that's where we are. I think there are very few players out there that if Arsenal didn't, you know, were interested and came knocking and they were available or looking to move that were not very keen to have a listen. And he's 22, uh, Adrian. Timber, we've got an average age in the defence, um, 24.1. I mean, we are, but uh, I would back them against almost anyone. We have a young, hungry, uh, not just team, but squad. Yeah, look, and our defence can improve. We didn't, I mean, I think we, we would all agree that going forward, we're better going forward than we are at the back. So they're at an age where you would expect them to improve. I think footballers, everyone's different, but, 
the peak years are probably 24 to 28. So yeah, if the average age is 24, then you know we've got four years of, of of them potentially being being at the peak of their powers. Yeah, I, I like the sign in for all the reasons Amy said. He, he he's a very good passer, a very accomplished on the ball, and I think that that is really important. And it'd be nice, won't it, to have a, an alternative to Zinchenko slotting in uh, as that inverted um, fullback into midfield. Just gives us another, you know, slightly less predictable arm, I guess. Whereas, you know, they won't do it at the same time, will they? Otherwise, we'll end up playing so. two, two, six, two, or something. Yeah, as a, as but, but they, some sort they'll of have formation. A, they'll have a feel for it, won't they? When when I did that piece with Zinchenko, I don't know if you you saw it. The the piece that I did with Arsenal on how to play, you know, his thoughts on playing that inverted role. He kind of just said, "Yes, we worked on it a lot at the outset, but now it's more of a feel." I just feel when when's the right time to come inside and when's not, and they'll they'll feel between them if they're both starting the the right time. I mean, Ajax he was mainly a centre back. It's for the Netherlands that he's appeared more as a full back option, certainly in recent times. So he's either great cover for Saliba and White, or he's or he's competition for White and Tommy Asu at right back, isn't he? So it'd be, it'd be fascinating to see see where he ranks, I guess, in the, in the pecking order. But yeah, he looks the kind of player that once he gets his chance, it, he might not he might not come out of the team because because he's that talented. Well, we know how these things can change. Tommy Asu was definitely first choice and then Ben White came in and we went, oh, OK, so maybe we'll see that with Timber as well. Uh, exciting times uh, at the Arsenal. Um, after the break, we'll talk about a couple of players that have signed uh, new contracts. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Adrian Clark, and Amy Lawrence here on the Athletics Arsenal podcast, Handbrake off some other bits of business have been un- done in the last few days. <laughs> also massive, by the way. William Saliba and Reese Nelson have both signed contracts. Amy, William Saliba, I mean, my God, the number of times we eulogised about this guy. Uh, I think the main reason that we didn't win the title last year was when he got injured. I think we all saw the difference it made. Um, it's four years. Uh, no... Um, uh, there's no possibility of extension, is there, as far as I understand it? So after two years, we'll be uh, uh, negotiating again. But he is one of the best centre-backs, one of the most coveted centre-backs. He could have gone anywhere, couldn't he? And we're talking Real Madrid down. And uh, he's uh, he's decided to stay at the Arsenal. It's enormous, isn't it, to keep him? Absolutely cannot wait to see him back on the pitch. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really exciting moment for everybody when he's back out there. And again, just a sort of illustration of this this sense that Arsenal is the place to be, you know. Um, it's very easy as a fan to think that even in good times and bad, but, you know, for players who have a career uh, and have options across the world, they're going to have a different mentality. And make no mistake, he has chosen to stay at Arsenal. 
and that is great news. Yeah, it would be nice to have another year of an optional. There's so few people complaining about the length of the contract. I think a four-year contract is great. I mean, you talk about, yeah, we're going to be in this position in two years' time. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll just keep him for four years. Who knows where we'll be by then? Or maybe in two years, he'll be desperate to renew his contract. doesn't mean we have to sell him in two years. He signed a four-year contract. Like, let's relax. <laughs> you know, let's let's have this season and then we can reassess all this stuff. But uh, I think it's outstanding and necessary and sends messages to other clubs. You know, there's not one player who has had a contract renewal situation that hasn't been you know very keen to take it up not one i mean even going down to ethan and wary and, and you know yeah. he's a we'll, we'll talk about him in a very fit. very young and who was being coveted by other clubs quite actively clubs who traditionally go and hoover up young talent for lots and lots of money and very big deals and it was touch and go because it went to the very end Unlike Lewis Skelly, who was committed absolutely to staying with Arsenal, didn't wasn't interested in anything else. But you could imagine that Anwari might have gone the way of Omari Hutchinson or something similar. But no, everybody is in this. And Reese Nelson as well, Adrian. Um, I mean, I'm personally I'm delighted about Reese Nelson. Uh, I've loved watching him play. I've we've watched him obviously since he was a kid. Came through the academy, Arsenal through and through, wanted to make it work, kept getting annoying injuries just when he was getting started. But there are moments when you see him, obviously the winning goal against Bournemouth, but not just that, lightning fast and and dangerous. And I, I mean, we've still got the best of him to come. And, and the fact that he's committed to Arsenal, he said himself he wants to be part of this. Yeah, I, I think there is a possibility that, that this new contract for him will give him such a confidence boost. The fact that Arsenal wants him to stay in the long term and, you know, they're prepared to push the boat out to keep him. You know, that's got to really lift you as a young player, especially a young player that, that wasn't a regular starter. It's got to, it could kick him on to the next level. It, it could be the case that soon he might be competing on more, more of an even keel with a Martinelli, for example, or, you know, I, I can't really say Saka because, you know, Saka's <laughs> just so good, but but he could be seen as very close to those guys. At the moment, he's been an impact substitute. And I think that in the short term, that's probably what he'll be this season. He's obviously made peace with that. Um, a lot of players his age would think, oh, I want to be the main man somewhere. I want to be like a bit of a star of, of another team where I play every single week where I've got a chance of getting called up by England and that will have been a, a temptation for him for sure but he's chosen to to stay at the Arsenal and just be part of it and if that means that at the outset he's an impact sub so be it he's he, he's obviously okay with that so yeah kudos to him he clearly really really wanted to be part of, of what could be something really special. So um, he loves he loves the club. Yeah, he loves the club. He has got the raw ingredients. He's got the pace. He's got the skill. We've seen him score good goals. It's just the consistency, but the consistency of players that haven't had runs in a first team is always going to be a bit patchy. So if he, if something, heaven forbid, if something happens to one of our wingers and he gets an extended run in the team. 
he could be a player transformed. He really could. Yeah. And 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 Amy, you mentioned Ethan Wanieri. Um, I mean, he's agreed scholarship terms. It, there is a pathway through to the first team. We've seen that with uh, Bukayo Saka and um, Emil Smith Rowe as well. Um, oh, I'd see I just him wanna... back as well. Look at what he's ripping it up in the under twenty ones, looking happy and sharp and inventive. He's doing great. I agree. I agree. It's great. But so there is a pathway through, and maybe. I mean, I think you touched on this in a podcast we did last season. It does get more difficult when you're competing at those higher levels. If you're in the Europa League, it's very easy to play some of these kids in some of these games. It's not so simple in a group game in the Champions League, is it? But Wanieri obviously sees something. He thinks there are there are possibilities. Look, he's also still very... I think the other clubs he would have potentially gone to would have been in the same situation. So it's not an Arsenal-specific scenario. Um, but, you know these guys have to occasionally they stay in house all the way, but otherwise there's options of very interesting loans that can be transformative. So give them that experience. He's still, they're both still very young, those 16. two, but I think that they're obviously talent with um, enormous potential already, which is good news. There's still the league cup as well. Give them, give them a bit of time in the league cup, uh, maybe have a good run in that. Got a lot of good players who are not going to be playing. I mean, I find this, when you actually sit down and map out the options that Arsenal have. I mean, last year there was a, a much more obvious first eleven. When you think about it, if everyone was fit, there wasn't a great deal of either or. And you sit and map it out now and you can envisage sort of not quite two different 11s, but you're not far away where there's, there's genuine either rules in a lot of positions. I mean, Adrian, you were just talking about the defence and saying absolutely there's room for improvement, conceded many too many goals last year. But when you think that uh, Timber is coming in and Kivior is very new, who also has stacks of promise, uh, add that to Gabriel and Saliba and White, and Zinchenko and possibly Tierney. We don't know quite what's happening on that. That's, you know, it's a bit different for, with all the, you know, respect in the world uh, for the guy that he is, Rob Holding coming in for really big, important games. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether that defensive uptick that is required comes from a balanced back line. I think what's going to be really interesting is, is... How do, how does Mikel rotate this exactly. season? Because because in the Champions League, it's not like Europa League. You got you got to really put a strong, super strong side out in the Champions League. Mm. So you, what you've got to do is be in a position where you can rest and rotate four or five from midweek and not weaken your team. And that that is clearly the plan, isn't it? That we've got. It looks much more plausible now, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it exactly. does. Yeah. Can we have a, a moment of appreciation for Granit Xhaka, who's uh, transferred to uh, Bayer Leverkusen, uh, has been confirmed. Um, 21 million quid. Um, I mean, we, I don't think we've ever had a player with quite the sort of narrative arc of Granite. Um, uh, uh, Adrian, it, it, I love the send-off at the end of last season. I love the send-off for the whole team, to be honest with you. I thought it was, one, it was a really incredibly happy day, the Wolves game. Um, tinged, of course, with a slight regret that we didn't win the title. But, uh, you know, it was. It, they went round, we all said thank you, and they're all singing, Granite Xhaka, we want you to stay. Uh, I think... Uh, I think it's the right move for us and the club. He's got a five-year contract at Leverkusen. He wasn't going to get that 
with us. Assuming that Declan Rice comes in, we've got an upgrade. Um, but it's ended in the right way, it hasn't it? In a perfect way. Yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful send off. And yeah, I agree. Actually, even though he was magnificent last season, you've got to move, haven't you? You've got to keep moving. And um, for him, he he's got a longer contract in, in Germany. You know, it's a place he's happy to live with his family. Um, and we get to shave six years off that position with Kai Havertz, you know, potentially. The same with Declan Rice. If if he plays instead of Thomas Partey, six years shaved off. That's 12 across our first choice midfield from last season. What was lacking in our midfield last season is a little bit of legs and a little bit legs. of power. Um, real elite level, yeah, power and athleticism to compete with a City or a Bayern Munich. I mean, did you watch that Man City Bayern Munich? You probably did. You know, those two games, particularly that first game at the Etihad, that was like two proper teams going at it at a serious pace. And I think that was where we fell short a little bit, as good as the midfield was for most of last season. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's right for us to to add that level of something something new and something fresh. So yeah, no, we wish him well. He, he was a he, he was an excellent player for us, and um, yeah, there were some good moments, some good goals, weren't there? And I loved his personality, very uh, strong figure in the dressing room as well. And I think he he as much as anyone was 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 one of Mikel's sort of managers on the pitch, wasn't he? During the last couple of years, in particular, where where we needed the team to step it up. Um, yeah, he he sort of led by example. <laughs> Anything to add to Granite Jack? I mean, I, I mean, I that Palace game. Well, um, we don't need to go through it again, but it was one of the grimmest days I've ever had at football. To go from that to the fans singing his name in what three seasons? That that's quite something, isn't it? And 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 speaks of his personality, really. And and uh, you know. How uh, did he grow up at Arsenal? Do you think? I mean, I mean, he was—he seemed a different person when he left. He seemed uh, a lot more comfortable in his skin, a bit more chilled, yeah. a bit more wise, and enjoying himself more. I think that when he was younger, he felt he had to do everything, and that was sometimes where he would be, uh, you know, a little bit reckless. Uh, I remember speaking to a Swiss guy years ago, first doing a piece trying to kind of understand the enigma of Granite Xhaka. And, and he made the point of, uh, you know, he, he he tries to do so, so much on the pitch. He wants to help every situation. So the fact that he's maybe the last man that overstretches the tackle or makes a bit of a rash one and ends up giving away a penalty or getting sent off or whatever was almost a consequence of him trying to be every man in every position to help on the pitch. Uh, it came out of a good place. It didn't just come out of being a bit of an idiot out there. It came out of him trying to help the team, really. And, you know, it's so interesting. It's been so fascinating to see that positional shift and how it kind of almost took something from his shoulders. It lightened his load. It allowed him to just be liberated and go and enjoy himself. And it's almost like, reminiscent in a sort of way of when Arsene first came in after all the years of George Graham and said to the defenders, go out and enjoy yourself. And you see Steve Bold doing Beckenbauer passes and Tony Adams, you know, sprinting up the pitch to knock in a volley. And them looking at each other like, this is fun. Like we could always play, but now we're 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 free to to play and enjoy it in a different way. 
and it felt like granite experience that last year um and it was kind of lovely to see and I think it's great that he you know there were points where there was a lot you know seven years and for quite a lot of those seven years people have been saying oh well Arsenal are only going to move on when granite goes you know a type of argument and there could have been earlier times where he'd have gone and he would have been remembered much more you know negatively but I think he's going to be remembered and welcome back with overwhelming positivity in future, which is just beautiful. We wish him all the best. Um, some story that uh, I don't know who's going to play him in the movie, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure there will be one at some point. Um, by the way, big news uh, for the women's team as well. Alessia Russo signed for the Arsenal. Art de Roche uh, sent us a little message talking about her signing. Hi guys, yeah, so Alessia Russo signed for Arsenal's the big one. If we look from the men's side, obviously Declan Rice is the primary target and then she's been the primary target on the women's side since a similar time around January where Jonas Eva was speaking quite publicly about wanting a prolific striker. The fact that they've been able to get her from Manchester United just shows Arsenal's still got that kind of sticking power in terms of the WSL's elite going into next season they'd obviously hope for a bit more luck on the injury front so they can challenge both domestically and hopefully in Europe in terms of how she'll fit she has a box presence Russo she's able to score from set pieces in terms of headers from corners and free kicks uh, which she did at the Emirates last season and she's also very sound technically I think those are all massive bonuses and I wouldn't be surprised to see her kind of show up in a few different roles, but those are kind of some of the main reasons why she was their top priority for this summer and this massive bonus that they've been able to get it done. That was Art de Roche there uh, talking about Alessia Russo signing for the Arsenal. Here's a short clip of an interview uh, Russo recently did with Sarah Shepard for The Athletic. And and why Arsenal, I guess? What, what do you feel the club can, can do for you? I think, um, yeah, first and foremost, since I've been here today, it's felt like a real family feel and everyone's been really welcoming, which has been so nice. And it's just a club that's got so much behind it um, and really back the women's team going forward and hopefully go on to achieve loads of stuff and, and win plenty of trophies. Um, but yeah, it's just a place when you step into the training ground, you feel integrated and, and that's a part of one club. Adrian, we won't dwell on this uh, for too long because there are other podcasts that cover uh, the women in much more detail. But uh, Arsenal have got uh, Alessia Russo, Beth Mead and Viv Miedema <laughs> up front. I mean, we've got three of the best strikers in Europe. It's fantastic. Honestly, it really is. And, and it's sort of slight echoes of the Declan Rice move in terms of we got one of the most coveted players. United wanted to keep her as well, didn't they? they? Yeah, I watched the Lionesses. I was there the other day when they they drew 0-0. I mean, she came on for the second half against Portugal and lit up the place, if I'm honest, and and probably should have scored three or four goals. It just wasn't her day. But, But seeing her in the flesh... It's um, it's the movement. It's just, she looks like a proper striker that, that will play off the shoulder of the last defender, makes great runs, and he's, she's powerful. And, and she's she makes, powerful. She makes things she happen. Is. So, yeah. yeah, once they're all fit, those girls, they're going to take some stopping, which is good. Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, one more thing before we go. Uh, there's going to be a statue of Arsene Wenger um, at some point in the near future. Uh, we did talk about this <laughs> last year and about what pose we want, whether it's him trying to zip up 
his jacket or standing with his arms apart. Um, it's 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 long overdue, isn't it, Amy? A statue of Arsene Wenger. I mean, I mean, the reason that we're at the Emirates is because of Arsene Wenger, isn't it? So there should be a statue of him outside the ground. At the very least. And uh, I think it's been uh, quite slow and very delicately and sensitively done because it needed a bit of time. You know, they obviously didn't quite rightly want to unveil anything without him being there and getting him uh, in London, feeling happy about being back at the uh, Emirates forever. Um you know, just needed Arsene just needed a bit of time to get used to it all after he left. You know, it wasn't the easiest thing for him to come to terms with. So I'm so uh, it was one of the moments of the season for me last year when he came back and watched uh, yeah. the games against West Ham. Um, and you know, the, the the camera went to him and he was watching the game and sort of applauding and everyone was singing his name. And it was just it felt so necessary to me that 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 bridge got got mended in that way healing, yeah it? it was it was really critical healing and this is just a kind of extension of that for all time so i kind of can't wait to see him there and i can't wait to see his statue there and i'm sure he'll make a typically arsenesque speech that we'll all love and just nice also for him to be coming back at good times Adrian, it will be good, won't it, to see his statue outside the Emirates? Yeah. I mean, he's um, he's such a huge part of Arsenal's history. Well, now. yeah, he's, he was the driving force to, to to build a place in the first place, wasn't he? So, um, yeah, no, it's going to be long, not long overdue. I think it, the timing is right, actually. For, 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 you know, Amy's outlined yes. that. I think you needed that grieving process, and and now he feels ready, and the club feel ready. And yeah, he's, he, he should be immortalised. Um, yeah, it's just it's just what's the pose going to be? I guess is like I, I think maybe on I, his haunches, I, uh, yeah, on the beach in in, in, in on the Copa oh yeah, there's Cabana. that as well. Yeah, lying on the one? beach. Yeah, uh, I yes. think something with the Invincibles trophy, maybe him lifting the Invincibles trophy is probably the, the most most obvious. Yeah, I mean that's, that would that's the great legacy, do. isn't it? Very nicely. Uh, let's have a song before we go. I know we did karaoke, but this is a song about what's happening now. Um, Adrian, I'm going to come to you first. Have you got a song course, for us at the moment? Of course. Um, it's a great summer. Um, sort of gentle winds of change coming through the building. So, um, but yeah, I'm going with Summer Breeze. Summer Breeze. Because it's. I think that the, the, the department and the club have made it look a little bit like a breeze. I know it's taken makes a while. Makes us feel fine. It does make us it? feel fine. Everything that they're doing at the moment is making us feel fine. So Summer Breeze, by the Isaac Brothers, a bit of a classic. Um, I think it fits nicely. Summer Breeze makes me feel I think it does as well. Amy, what you got? Slightly different uh, vibe, but in the words of uh, the kids, we've done a madness, I think, this summer. So I've <laughs> gone for madness by madness. I love, Great. I love it. And, and as they sing it, I call it gladness. Yeah. Uh, well, quite. Um, 
Yeah, I was at uh, Glastonbury a couple of weeks ago and I saw Left Field, which was a huge moment for me. I've always loved particularly that first album. I had a bit of a dance. And uh, since uh, I saw them, I've been listening to a song called Accumulator, which is banging, <laughs> I think the kids would also say. Uh, and Accumulating is what Arsenal are going to be doing with trophies over the next few years. So I'm having that. Another thing, just on what the kids are saying, my um, my eldest uh, said, uh, you know, with all this transfer stuff going on, he said the age of banter is over, and I think that's a really interesting point, particularly for the younger generation. You know, we're lucky enough to have seen success, but they've all grown up with, you know, going into school and mates who support other teams, or you know, getting getting plenty of tough stuff. Uh, over the, you know the last 10 15 years so i think that they're delighted and you know you'd like to think that these signings are as are really for the for the next gen you know on the pitch and off let them live it and love it yeah, although there obviously was a little bit of me as a slightly older head, I say slightly, much older head, thinking for the moment, <laughs> for the moment, because you never know with football, but uh, right now things are looking really good. And um, we'll be back uh, in a few weeks' time for the start of the season. Thank you to Adrian Clark. Thank you to Amy Lawrence. Thank you to Jay, uh, our producer. And thank you, listener. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thank you.